Good evening. Okay, that's better. It's good to see you tonight. Who took a nap today? Who wished they would have taken a nap? When I was a little kid, my father would make us take naps. That was terrible, terrible, terrible torture. Now, I beg my wife every day, call me and tell me to take a nap, take a nap. It's such a good thing. Wrong and bad things. You know, how many of you are familiar a little bit with what's going on with the Israelites, Jewish people, and the Palestinians right now? It's not good, is it? It's, it's not good at all. And if it's not handled properly, World War III could be in our near future. I mean, it's a serious, a serious issue. <laughs> and when you have problems that truly violate right and wrong and principles, and in our case not scripture, and they're not dealt with properly, you, you are headed for a disaster. In Galatians chapter 2, uh, we were there this morning, and we're going to back up tonight to verse 11, and we're going to look at a classic story uh, about problems and how they were dealt with uh, properly. But let's begin with this. Wrong and bad things happen even in a church. Now, I know you don't believe that, but they do. They do. Wrong and bad things happen even in a church. They happen in our families. They happen in our workplace. They happen uh, in our world. And they happen even in churches. And it's been going on this way uh, for many, 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 many years. Remember, the Garden of Eden was the most holy place on the face of the earth until Eve messed up, right? Laugh with me. Let's have some fun. We can be miserable for the next 30 minutes, I promise you. Uh, yeah, we can go to Malachi 3 and talk about tithing. And my favorite subject, there will be tithing in hell. I'm convinced of that. That's a part of hell. You didn't want to tithe here on earth. You've got eternity to think about that. Why do bad things happen? Let me give you a couple reasons. Sometimes just pure evil. I, I mean, sometimes it's just pure evil. Things happen because the devil's real. And behind every wrong thing, Satan's there. Directly and indirectly, he is there. But sometimes, like, like what's going on in Israel today, started because some Palestinians kidnapped and murdered three Jewish teenage boys. That's evil. That got the ball kicked off in a bad, bad direction. Secondly, uh, sometimes it's just selfish and immaturity. Sometimes things happen because there's just selfishness and immaturity. We talked a little bit about that this morning. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you who shared these cards with me, but. When you write a card on Sunday, as long as it's signed, normally I see all the cards. If you don't sign it, I don't see it because we, we, we tear it up. But um, two cards I got today, again, I'm going to leave unidentified the people, but they were so funny because they, they were jokes. What did I talk about this morning? Being what? Crucified with Christ. Being selfish, right? And one card said, uh, it said, the sermon this morning was all about me. Isn't that funny? You get that? And they signed it. And you know who you are and you're here. And another one was real funny. It said, my family members really needed to hear this. And if they would quit being so selfish, everything would go better. Of course, there was a smiley face. But amen to that, right? But, but sometimes evil just happens. Uh, and, and it was Linda Bernard and Linnea Allen who did that, by the way. Uh, I didn't really break a pastoral confidence there. So but isn't that funny? That, was, that was, uh, made my day. It was really funny. Um, but these do cause issues. But here's the third thing, especially in church, sometimes you have serious theological issues. And if you're taking notes, like in a family, sometimes you can have serious uh, principle breakage. 
uh, you know, breakage, where, where there's family values, which we'd say a lot of times those are theological or biblical issues are violated. In verse 11 through 13, when Peter came to Antioch, we have a map here of Antioch. Do we have a map of Antioch? Uh, there you see Antioch there. I left my carry also pointer in my office. But there's Jerusalem down by the Dead Sea. You see Jerusalem. And Antioch is several hundred miles north uh, there. Uh, and it had kind of become a bastion for uh, non-Jewish Gentile Christians during this time. It says, I, I, Peter came, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid, this is Peter, of those uh, of the circumcision group. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. These... These people, we call them Judaizers. Judaizers, some of them may have been born-again Christians. Some of them, are, he calls them false brothers. Uh, they, it says they came from James. They came from Jerusalem. James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. So it's like they're coming with some authority. We come, we come from James. Now, I guarantee you, James didn't authorize what they were promoting here. But, you know, sometimes if you got the backing, we come, you know, I'm coming from the governor's office or whatever. Whether the governor has anything to do with it, it intimidates some people. And I'm sure that's what they were trying to do. Uh, and they, their philosophy was this, was that you become a Christian by becoming a Jew. That it, salvation was from, by grace, God's grace through faith, plus if you're a male, uh, plus circumcision, plus practicing the Old Testament laws, basically becoming a Jew, and then you become a Christian. That was their gospel that they were promoting, and, uh, of course, it was obviously terrible. One of the oral traditions, now, folks, this is real significant because now we, you don't see this as much today, although we have this, but, but it, it was very pronounced to them. They had the written law and the oral tradition. Now, tell me if you can see a problem. Many in Jesus' day held the oral tradition equal to the Old Testament. Do you see a problem there? Yes, there's a problem there. And so part of the oral law was if you're a Jewish person, you would not even eat dinner with a non-Jewish person. A Gentile is synonymous with a non-Jewish person, which you would be a Gentile. Nowhere ever, ever, ever did God say that if you're a Jew, you should not eat with a Gentile. That was part of their oral, made-up, fictitious religious laws, and it was wrong. And their influence was so strong, even the great uh, apostle Peter was being pulled away, and it says, it, it's the idea of kind of slowly he began to withdraw from being their friend and being uh, in fellowship with them. Now, this is huge. Here's what's happening. Prejudiced. God hates prejudice. That's never going to change. You can justify it any way you want to. I was born in Missouri, grew up in Tennessee, went to college in Mississippi. I understand rednecks. I understand the South. Prejudice has been wrong since the very beginning. That's exactly what was happening here. Their meals were huge social deals. You know, we don't enjoy meals like we should. Amen. 
They need to be longer and more, don't they, Greg? And always have a dessert. But, you know, seriously, and, and this, I'm not saying this is always bad, but you can go to McDonald's on your way home tonight and be finished with supper by the time you get home. That's not a lot of fellowship, is it? They, their meals, when you ate with somebody, it was more of a fellowship time. And, and they also had once a week, this wouldn't be a bad practice for our church, they had what they called the agape love feast where the whole church got together and they ate. And they had a great time together and they had a great fellowship together. And this may have been the agape love feast. And so at this agape love feast, Peter and the other Jewish Christians are beginning to not want to eat with and associate with the people who were not Jewish people and this had huge implications. What they were saying, number one, was these are second-class citizens. These are second-class citizens to us. They were also saying if you were going to be saved, you had to be a Jew. Now, folks, this isn't a matter of opinion. This wasn't a matter of what I think or you think. Man, this was the matter of the Word of God. When you start segregating against someone because of a different skin color or ethnicity or different religious belief or whatever, a background, that is S-I-N no matter how you cut it. When you begin to say, if someone's going to be saved, they got to jump through this hoop, this hoop, this hoop, hoop, this hoop, and then by faith they can be saved in Christ, you've crossed the line of heresy. And something, that's wrong. That is wrong. And it also says in verse 13, if you look in your Bibles, the others Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. So that the hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Now it's interesting, the Greek word hypocrite, hypocrisy, was not a bad word 2,000 years ago. An actor was called a hypocrite. Now Wayne has been in a play. Wayne and Rex were in a play this week and and Wayne, if this play would have been 2,000 years ago, everyone in it would have been a man. That would have been uncomfortable, wouldn't it? And if you happen to be, if Wayne was like Cinderella in the, in the play, <laughs> I'm picturing it. You got to get rid of the mustache. Really not comfortable with a chick with a mustache. My dad's from Arkansas, and I have seen that, but I'm not comfortable with that. Defended everybody from Arkansas. I'm sorry. The hypocrite, the actor, wore a mask. You, if you're going to play a part, you wore a mask. They didn't have makeup and all that stuff, so you wore a mask. So, so Wayne Cinderella, he's wearing, he's wearing a mask. But see, here's where it gets, it gets wrong. In real life, when you start wearing a mask and not being who you should be and who you really are, you're playing a part. That's sin. So what was happening here is you had major theological, biblical breaches, you had hypocrisy, you had problems in the camp, okay? Now, here's the second thing. you got to deal with these issues, okay? You have to deal with these issues. Now, I want to give you two thoughts on this. Number one, don't just be argumentative and opinionated. Paul is fixing to deal with the issue, but he's not dealing with the issue from the perspective of what I talked about this morning. I got to always be right. You got to always listen to me. It's my way or the highway. Some people were born on the wrong side of the crib. I mean, they've been mad since birth. When the doctor spanked them, they got in an argument. I mean, you, you know, they... <laughs> Someone told me years ago, opinions are like ears. Most everybody's got a couple. We're not talking about being opinionated and argumentative. But here's the second thought. When clear biblical principles, uh, clear biblical errors must be addressed. Clear biblical errors 
Years ago, I had a friend who was pastoring a small church in another state, and they were having a lot of trouble in the church. They had had trouble for years. It was like First Baptist, First Fighting Baptist Church of that area or whatever. And, and he's a young guy, and he calls the director of missions who, you know, our director of missions, what uh, Barry Joyner is our director of missions, a good friend of mine and a great guy. They, they don't lead our church or anything. They just kind of help coordinate for us or in our churches. But he called him, and he said, man, I need some help. I'm, I'm getting killed. And, and the, the director of missions, an older man, said, oh, I can't get involved because if they fire you, I have to be there for the church. And, you know, somebody should have just called him up and just called him a chicken, shouldn't they? I mean, you know, a lot of Christians, we run one of two ways. Either we're argumentative or we're conflict avoidant. Don't be either. Christians are not people looking for a fight. That's lost people. But don't be so weak that you're not willing to stand up for the Bible, for biblical truth. So I want to read it again. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. He was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from them because he was afraid of them. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that the hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When you have prejudiced issues, salvation issues, church unity issues, you've got to deal with them. You have to deal with them. Uh, others were being impacted. Even Barnabas, it said, was being led in this, this uh, hypocrisy. It, it, folks, when you, you got a cut on your arm, uh, if you don't deal with it, uh, there's a chance it'll get infected, isn't there? And that, that it's easier to get it under control early uh, than it is uh, if you don't get it uh, if you have to get it in control six months later when they saw your arm off and give you a hook uh, because infections are bad. Listen, hopefully in our church it's not going to happen much. Hopefully never. But when you're dealing with clear biblical issues, not oral traditions, not opinions, those are all fine to have, but when you're dealing with clear biblical issues, when that boundary line's crossed, you, you have somebody has got to be willing to take a stand, okay? And that's, that's what you see here. You have to deal with these issues when this kind of thing happens. It, it's the same way at home, okay? Let's move beyond the church. At home or in the workplace, uh, if, you, if you let your kid grow up to be a thug, guess what? They're going to grow up to be a thug, aren't they? I mean, they are. In, in, in the workplace, you let somebody run and do what they want to do, or whether it's on the team, or what's going to happen eventually, it's, it's going to be a mess. You've got to deal with them. So here's the third thing. How do we address these things properly? How do we address the heirs properly? As a pastor of 26, 27 years, I've seen them addressed very improperly. Uh, how do you address them properly at home, at church? This is huge. And here's the first thought. Most of the time, private is best. Most of the time, the best way to deal with a problem is privately because if, if, if somebody, even if they're clearly in the wrong, if you get into it with them in front of other people, you back them in a corner, and, and unless they're real mature, 
they're going to come back scratching, aren't they? And then at some point, someone's got to back down or it gets ugly. So the, the best recourse most of the time is, hey, let's talk about this later. That's the best way to do it. Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17, very misused passage, but very biblical. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Now, there's a chance you may go show him their fault, and you may realize they aren't wrong. Maybe you're wrong. But you're going to talk to them just between the two of you. If they listen, it's great. You want them back. The second step in that is if they don't listen and that problem continues, then you bring other people to try to solve the problem. And then the third step is that you would take it for the church. Now, that's almost got to be a church issue, doesn't it? You're having problems with your kid at home. Uh, don't bring them to the church for us to kick, kick them out of the church. I mean, I'm uncomfortable with that. Spank them. We'll, we'll even make them sit and time out in the balcony, whatever we need to do. They'd like that, by the way. Uh, oh, sure, I'll go to time out in the balcony. Can I have my cell phone with me during the sermon? But privately is best. But here's another thing. Public issues have to be addressed publicly. Now, this is tough, but boy, um, again, we're going to walk through this passage. Peter came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face. That's the, that's the, the literal wording of a, a, a... They're looking at each other, Norman. You know, they're talking to each other, Greg. It's a face-to-face. And in verse 12 through 14... Before these men came, he would eat with the Gentiles. Then he began to draw back. Verse 13, the other Jews joined in with the hypocrisy. And 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth, the truth of the gospel. Again, this wasn't opinion, philosophy, theory, the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter, listen, I said to Peter, in front of them all, how many of you agree confronting Peter would have taken guts? Peter chopped people's ears off in the Bible. When he was a mature Christian. Think about that. And Paul knew that. I'm sure when he began, he said, Peter, stand up. Let me check you real quick, buddy. You don't have your ear, ear sword with you, do you? Probably a short sword that, you know, would, whew, uh, would fillet you pretty quick. And he, and he said, I, I told him, you, you're not acting right. It goes on, and we're not going to read in verse 15 and 16. He basically says, Peter, you know that Gentiles, non-Jews are saved just like we are. Why are you, put, why are you acting this way? Why are you theologically off base folks when it's a public sin and it happens in public a lot of times it has to be addressed in that for in that um, that format influencing others it's pulling other people away it's becoming divisive and it's public a lot of times you've just got to deal with it you've got to deal with it right then peter didn't peter didn't sign an un uh, write him an unsigned letter did he he didn't get on some chat room and use an anonymous name, letter writer for God, 44, hotmail.com, and boy, Peter's really acting like an idiot, isn't he? Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't call him, crank call him, leave him a voicemail. He, he, to his face, in front of the group, in front of the group where it was all going on, by the way, he, he called him out on it. You know, if you're a parent and you have a kid who is, is acting crazy, uh, you know, to pull him aside and to get on to him, but when it continues to go on in front of their brothers and sisters and it's hurting the family, sometimes you've got to stop what's going on right there in front of everybody and call them out. You know, in, in our staff meetings, and we talk about this, if, if one of us acts stupid in front of the whole group, it may have to be addressed in front of the whole group. Why? Because it's 
public issues, a lot of times you have to gently address them publicly. Now, make sure that there's clear biblical wrong going on before you jump out and do this because if you become Mr. or Mrs. Confrontation, uh, you're going to probably jump into the sin realm pretty quickly. I want to give you a couple thoughts on this too. How do you how do you do this properly? Well, the first thing is you do it lovingly. You do it lovingly. First Corinthians sixteen fourteen is a great verse. We talk about it a lot. Do everything in love. If you're going to if you're going to address somebody, especially in front of other people, listen to me. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. Do it lovingly. Secondly, do it gently. Gently. In other words, kindly. In Philippians 4, 5, listen to what it says. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is standing and watching is basically what that's saying. So you address people lovingly and gently and lastly clearly. Paul knew what... Peter was doing, and he didn't leave any doubt. He didn't say, oh, yeah, uh, uh, Peter, uh, mm, you might trim your mustache. It's getting a little long to be really uh, an apostle. And uh, by the way, you ought to not eat. You've you got to start eating with the Gentiles again. No, he didn't do that. I think he was loving. I think he was gentle, but he was clear. He said, buddy, this is a problem. What you're doing is wrong. It's hypocrisy. It's theologically off base, and you're hurting other people, Peter. Look, this has got to stop. And I think he did it properly. If you jump ahead to 2 Peter 3.15, listen to what it says here. This is Peter. God talked through Peter. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Listen to what he says. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom God gave him. Do you notice that? Our dear brother Paul. Now, here's the connection. Galatians was possibly written in A.D. 49 or 50. Okay? It was written pretty early. Second Peter was written about A.D. 65, at least 15 years after Galatians. So it was 15 years after this confrontation. Paul, uh, Peter didn't say, hey, you know, Paul's, uh, Paul's a jerk, but when, what you read he writes in the Bible is the word of God. Follow. He calls him a dear brother. So the, the whole purpose of confrontation, this is where Christians go so goofy. The whole purpose is to make it right, not to beat them up. Not to be right, not to prove that they're wrong. It's to make it right. Amen. And see, Paul wasn't trying to be a bully. Paul, Paul listen, Peter to whipped him in a second in the UFC. But Paul was godly, man. He was trying to make things right that were wrong, not to get the accolades that everybody was going to follow him. The purpose is reconciliation, not a victory, but a victory for Christ. And I want to give you three closing thoughts. Number one, don't be the problem. How many of you agree if Peter could walk side by side with Jesus for three years, this is at least 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter's a mature Christian. If he can blow it like this, how many of you think you can too? You don't even have to raise your hands. I'll raise it for you. You can be. <laughs> don't be the problem. Secondly, let Jesus and truth direct you. Let Jesus and truth direct you. Let me remind you, 
I oftentimes get truth and my opinion confused. It's easy for me to get truth and the way I was raised confused. They're not the same a lot of times. Truth is truth. Our truth as Christians is the Word of God. In verse 12, we see where Peter got in trouble. Before a certain man came from James, he used to eat with us, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from them because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Fear is what was driving Peter to do wrong here, not Jesus and the truth. Are you with me? Now, here's Peter. I'm telling you, he's a tough man. What fear was it? Well, it, could it have been of death? Maybe, because th- these people killed people who disagreed with them. It's not just the modern-day jihadists who killed people. These, some of these old Jewish people 2,000 years ago really didn't like Christians. I don't think it was that as much. I think maybe he feared losing his camaraderie or his control. Uh, this is how he'd been raised. And, and maybe it was all that fear of losing that that made him step away from Jesus and the truth. So I want to tell you, always be guided by Jesus Christ and the truth. Jesus and the truth. And lastly, stand up for clear biblical principles. Now, I'm not going to get this quote right, but basically it was Martin Luther, one of his, uh, his uh, disciples, who basically said on the, on the things that are absolutely essential, we, we can't give. That's about five to ten things. There are not 400 essentials. If you like green hymnals, that's great. Go buy one. But that doesn't mean that... that We need green hymnals in your Sunday school class if there's already blue ones. On non-essentials, let there be freedom. Let there be freedom. But on the few things that are essential, you stand your ground and you be willing to take a loving and kind and clear stand. If it's clear biblically, that's where you take your stand. Thomas Jefferson, our third president, had a great quote. He said, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. In other words, if America is going to stay free, boy, our country needs to hear this. If we're going to stay free, we have always got to stay on top of the game. Because if we let down our guard, we will be overran. Thomas Jefferson knew that 200, 300 years ago. That's true today. I want to tell you the price of a church staying the way it should be, the price of you staying the way you should be with Jesus is vigilance. You've got to stay on your game. You've you got to stay on your game. So here's what we need to do tonight. Christians, how are you doing? Are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? And the biggest thing is, what will you be moving forward? When we give our invitation in a moment, maybe where you're standing, maybe at the altar, it's time to rebow that knee to Christ, to recommit that life to Christ, to say to Jesus, I'm not only going to try to be right, I'm going to lovingly stand for the truth in the days ahead. Maybe you're ready to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. And one way you can do that when we stand is you can come and there will be a a minister down here that will help you do that. We'd love for you to do it. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior, listen, the greatest truth in the world is salvation is offered to you by faith in Christ. But you've got to receive it. Would you receive it tonight? 